Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Dennis Kozlov. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Awesome to be here. Great to see you guys. Ah, so good to worship together. You know, I was talking about our church the other day and I Oh, I was talking to my uh, wife's parents over Zoom or over Skype, it doesn't matter. And there was like, like, is there a presence of the Lord in your church when you worship? I said, you know what? Always. Always. I mean, it doesn't really mean. I've been here when this was full. I was here when there was like scalping crew people. Every time we go into worship, there is a like deep presence of God that is released here. This is awesome. It, it, takes, it takes a spiritual person to recognize it without all the blows and whistles, but it's there, and it's wonderful. Well, anyway, I always do these weird caveats. All right, I am finishing today our series uh, that we called Vital Distinctions. How many of you have been through some of these messages? How many of you have been blessed by them? Uh, Wonderful. So I'm finishing it, and originally I was going to do the short overview of the previous messages, but then I realized it's going to be too long, three messages. So please, if you missed any of them, Go to our website and listen to them, especially the first one about the difference, the fundamental difference between the grace and law in the Bible. Because if you don't see this difference, even the slightest Christian exhortation can kill you and condemn you. Like, rejoice, always rejoice, Derek. And Derek is killed by that if he doesn't know the difference. You need to know the difference. You need to distinguish and differentiate those things. The second one, I did that, and I compared it to a lot of Christians not knowing that you're not supposed to mix certain things, and they do mix it, and it, it, it leads to devastating consequences in the, of the life. People must learn the difference between the gift of salvation and the call to discipleship. These are two different things fundamentally different. A lot of preachers lump them together. And this is the worst thing that you can do. A lot of people have suffered greatly because of that. Last week, it was Neil's heart's cry for more reality of God. He shared with us how he was pursuing God with intensity, with a fervor, asking God to give more of his presence, to give more of his reality in his life. And the Lord interrupted him and exposed his heart's motives, which showed that he was pursuing the Lord as a means to his ends. He wanted his ministry to be more successful, and he wanted his personal life to work better. And he repented. And he said, Lord, I repent. I confused two things that should never be confused. The gift, capital G, Christ himself and the life of God and the relationship with Him, and all the blessings and gifts that come from Him. You never elevate one to the same level than the other. Oh, so see, I didn't want to do the review, but I did. Well, anyway, thank you, Neil. (laughs) And today, I'm actually, I'm a little nervous because I'm preaching today on something that I don't think I ever preached. I thought this morning, I thought, have I ever preached about that stuff? And I didn't. Today I will talk about, I will finish this, and it's kind of symbolic because we're coming to the end of the year. I'm going to talk about another final distinction between two great judgments in the Bible. Are you excited? 
<laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but before, <clears throat> and, uh, before I elaborate on that, I just need to assert one thing. The, there is a biblical principle of the final judgment of human beings. Can I hear an amen to that? Hey, listen, this is not popular these days for some reason. I, I don't hear much talk about it. And you, some of you will get like tense, like, Dennis, we love you preach because you, you're a grace guy. You speak so much of grace and love and gift. And I am. But if something is in the Bible, you can't ignore it. And last time I checked, it was there. <laughs> so the Bible does speak of the judgment that every human being will have to face. So that's a general principle. But it's very important that you stay to the end today so that you won't leave just with the concept that there is a judgment coming for you. There are two different judgments. And I want you to know the difference. And I want you to be established in that difference. So listen carefully today. You know, the message communicated by today's culture is the very opposite of that. We have only this life, the culture says. And the way we spend it, the way we live it, the way the, uh, the, we make decisions about our life, we're ultimately accountable to only to one being, ourselves. That's the message of the culture. And it directly collides with the message of the Bible. That's not true. You didn't bring yourself into this world, and there's a day of account settling coming, and it's called Judgment Day. All right, so I intrigued you enough, or, well, just, just bear with me. We'll be there. So, yeah, the Bible teaches that this is not all there is, but rather this life is a definite period of time given to each one of us, and we are accountable to God for how we live this life. And He will render a verdict on how we live this life. So basically, I, you know, English is not my native language. Neil said that we'll be teaching you on this book. And unfortunately, or fortunately, it will be with a southern drawl maybe. Well, with me, you get Russian accent. So every once in a while, God speaks to you with a weird Russian accent. So, but I'm learning English. I love English language. So this came to me like... Our life is like a line time, timeline, sorry, timeline with a deadline, and then comes the judgment and there's a bottom line. Does it make sense? Did it work? Good, good. So I'm, I'm getting, I'm grasping my English all right. So now I love English. I love to learn expressions and stuff. So it's not cyclical all the time. It's not just random, meaningless circles around the sun that we called years and they're about 50 60 70 or 80 allotted to us and then this is it no it's a line it has a beginning it has the end it has a design and purpose and it has a definite period allotted to you you have only certain numbers of those circles around the sun that we called years and you and I will give an account for that to God himself. So I got this clear, right? So, okay. Dennis, you make us uncomfortable. Dennis, you create pressure. Why are you doing that, Dennis? Listen, three years ago, I got a phone call from my doctor. And she told me, Dennis, we just got your 
results from the lab of your blood work. It's not good. Your cholesterol is off chart. Your sugar is super high. Your high blood pressure is high. Uh, you're in constant danger of certain things. You're pre-diabetic and you are in a straight shot to become full-blown diabetic if you don't change your life drastically. Boy, she made me uncomfortable. That was bad. But listen, I'm so glad she told me the truth. The truth is the reflection of how things are, the reality. Reality has this weird, strange quality of not willing to accommodate to my preferences and my likes or dislikes. It's just there. And it just announces itself. And sometimes it hits you like a ton of bricks. Listen to me. I heard this truth. It was disturbing. In six months, I lost 40 pounds. I, I totally changed my diet. I changed my lifestyle. And in six months, everything got back to normal. I'm not diabetic today. I like... This is awesome. So we, guys, we need to hear the truth even if it's uncomfortable. Because that's the only thing that will help you to get right on the right track if you're not on the right track, all right? So, uh, obvious things. We know that physical death is coming, right? But it's not the end. The Bible says it's not the end. There's coming a judgment. The book of Hebrews says, and it is appointed for men to die once. But after this, the judgment. So let's take a look closely. Let's, let's be courageous and look at those passages, some of those passages of the Bible, and understand what is this whole judgment deal is all about. And today I want, again, once I repeat, I want you to make the distinction between two specific judgments in the Bible. And some of you, it's basic knowledge for you. You know it. I, I kind of suppose that probably Derek and Jim know it. Because 20 years ago, believe it or not, a lot of people thought about it. And it was a common knowledge. But today, a lot of Christians are excited. But they don't know that stuff. So when I preach, they go, really? It's in the Bible? Yes, dude. <clears throat> All right. The book of Revelation. I'll start there. <clears throat> book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. It's kind of an ultimate consummation here. And we read... And please pay attention. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. <clears throat> now careful, listen. And books were opened. Plural. Many, many, many people showed up. Many, many, many books were opened. And another book was opened. One singular, different kind of a book was opened. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in those books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Listen carefully. And anyone who was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's the word of God. So what is this other book 
That's kind of important because it sounds like you have only two options. Your name and your life story fully in details is found in one of those books or your name is found in that other book. Who are the people who get to be exempt from this judgment? How do they get their names written in that special book? That is a super important question. If I were you and I'm not sure, I would want to find out. And it's easy to find out. If you start reading the New Testament, Jesus himself speaks about it. For example, in Luke 10, he's sending 70 disciples to different villages and, and towns of uh, Judea. And he charges them to preach the gospel. And he tells them to, to do exactly the same thing that they observed him doing. Lay hands on sick people and see them healed. Deliver them from oppression, of demonic oppression. And preach the good news of the gospel. And they went. And they weren't sure because they've never done it before. They've seen Jesus doing but they've never done it before. They went. They spread around the Judea and then they came back and they were ecstatic. They were like, you can't believe Jesus. That stuff works. I mean, we tried and it worked. It totally worked. Demons were obedient to us. They were submissive. We would command demons to leave and they would leave. It's amazing. And here's what Jesus responds. And he said, they came and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and to all over the power of the enemy. And nothing by any means hurt, sh should hurt you. But listen, nevertheless, he says, that's exciting, but that's not it. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You know, they trusted Jesus for their salvation. And immediately Jesus said, you know, guys, your name are now, your names are now in that special book, the book of life. It's, it's, it's amazing. In John 5, 24, he says, Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, present tense, has everlasting life, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed, perfect past tense, has passed from death into life. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hey, are you excited about Do I understand what it means? That is awesome. Yeah. So if you heard the word of Christ and you believe that God sent him, only begotten son of God, to save you, not just randomly come and do some Jewish stuff in Jewish nation just some thousands of years ago. No, he came as God answered to your problem. He came to save you. If you believe it, you do not come to this first judgment. What happens is the system has been rigged in your favor, in a sense. God himself hacked the system. He took the blood of his son. Nothing could erase whatever has been done and recorded. Everything is recorded. 
everything. Nothing just fades away. Whatever you thought, whatever you've done, you, whatever you committed, whatever things that you were happy to do or shame, ashamed right now to remember, it's all registered. But it's been erased by the blood of Christ if it's been applied to that. And the same blood wrote your name in the book of life. And you do not come to judgment anymore. Isn't that good news? Isn't that a good news? Study your Bible. You will see that that's judgment number one. That's a, some theologians refer to it as a, as a judgment before the great white throne. Sometimes they even funny. They do funny things. They just abbreviate uh, GWT. GWT. Well, that's one. That's one. And if you've done it, if you, if you believed in Jesus, you need to be established in that. That's why you need to come to this church to hear, constantly hear the good news of the gospel. The gospel of grace. The gospel of the lavish, uh, outlandish, uh, extraordinary gift of God's generosity, His love and His mercy. You need to be established. You need to become like Paul, Apostle Paul, who said... Who, in Romans 8, he said, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? That's you and I if you believe in Jesus. Who shall bring charge against God's elect? It is God who justified. Who is, who is he who condemns? Who? It is Christ who died. I mean, nobody bring any charge against you. Do you understand that? Christ himself justifies you. And he continues, he says, it is Christ who died. And furthermore, it is also reason, he is also reason, and even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. I'm telling you, the system has been rigged in your favor. I mean, he's done everything. He's interceding for you right now, and he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's a great, great question, one million dollar question. What or who can ever separate us from the love of God? And he gives you an answer right there. Let's read. You want to know the answer? Yeah, some preachers will tell you what separates you from the love of God. On a regular basis, every Sunday, you come with more faith to the church and you live with less faith. You're not sure anymore because the preacher said you're about to lose or maybe I've already lost or maybe you have never been saved. Who knows? That's a crap. I'm sorry. I can say that. I'm Russian. That's not Bible. That's not the Bible. The Bible gives you security. The Bible gives you assurance. You know that you've been saved. You just know that you've been saved. Nobody can snatch you from his hand. So he said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He says, for I am persuaded. I want you to just memorize this verse. It's Romans 8, beginning from verse 35. He said, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Yo, woo! I don't know what else. I mean, if that cannot get you excited, I don't know what else can. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I, when I, when I read that, I actually, I sometimes I, I, I feel like I'm getting drunk just reading that. Seriously. It's just like, oh, it's intoxicating. It's like, it's, I, I'm getting goofy. And you need to be established in that. 
You know, that's revival for you right there. If you get into the spirit of this passage, you will have revival. That the very moment you get this passage, you get revival. And you get revival, people start getting revived around you. That's how it works. All right? You need to be established in that. That's, I want to say sila here. You know what sila is? Stop and think about it. That's the good news, the gospel. But then we keep reading the Bible. <laughs> you know I set you a trap now. You, you heard me preach last time. And then we begin to read the same guy, Paul, who just like gave his like rant about this love of God that nobody can separate you from. And then he begins to write something that sounds a little different. And you're like, uh-oh, what's that? So let's read these little different passages. He says, Romans 14, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, it sounds like philosophical and poetic almost, but he comes to the crunch point here. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you judge your brother, he asks. Why do you show contempt for your brother? And he tells, he reminds you why you shouldn't do that. He said, for we all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's another truth of the Bible. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. But we all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And woe unto you if you listen to a preacher who lumps those two judgments together. The first one that I told you about and this one. These are two different things. <clears throat> These are two different things. Great white throne judgment <clears throat> and the judgment seat of Christ. In fact, in Greek, it's even different word that is used, bima. Basically, it's something like this, like a special platform that was used for uh, different public procedures. It was also used uh, for, it was used by judgment sometimes, but it was also used a lot for sport competitions, for Olympic Games. Mysterious, mysterious Games, I forgot the name of it, but basically they would examine athletes who would run the race or do whatever they do, like wrestle, and they would decide who wins and who loses. And they would decide who gets the prize. And this is the judgment seat of Christ for all believers. This life accounts to something. This life has weight and meaning. You can live this life as of no significance, like you're just hanging out there and enjoying. Dennis, dang it, you just gave us a gift and then you take it away from us? I thought like... The system has been rigged in my favor, and now I can just enjoy myself for the rest of life and then drift into the sweet by and by. That's not biblical. That's great for, like, country song, but that's not biblical. Oh, thank you, Neil. Thank you. I appreciate it. For it is written, I leave, says the Lord. Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then Paul summarizes... Each of us shall give account of himself to God. I want this thought to be engraved in you. And if it makes you uncomfortable, so let it be. You need to be made uncomfortable. That's good. That's good. So that is our vital distinction. These are two different judgments. I told you about it already. Two different events. This is the judgment of Christ reserved exclusively for his believers. Sometimes it's referred by theologians as a 
bima or bema of Christ. That's the Greek name for this platform. Well, both judgments examine the works. Did you notice that? Both judgments examine the works. So the first judgment, the great white throne, examines the works recorded in those books. And remember, there is a different book there. And that book also has a work. But it's not your work. It's the work of Christ. And if your name and if your life has been immersed in the work of Christ, if the work of Christ has been applied to your life, you, you're taken away from those books. And you're brought into that book. You got it? Can I hear an amen to that? So then the second judgment is for those who are already in the book of life. And it's different. It's to see what have you done with your life after you received this gift of life eternal. This gift can never be taken away from you. But with this gift, there is an offer to become his disciple. Remember, we talked about it two weeks ago. An invitation to become his disciple, to become his servant, to, to begin to operate in his kingdom before this kingdom manifested on this earth. Ahead of time, by faith, become a representative, an ambassador, a servant for him on this earth. And what we do with this offer determines what we get at that judgment. The first judgment, great white throne, determines where you go. Where are you going to spend eternity? The second judgment determines what will you have, what will you do, the scope of your responsibilities, resources that you will have available. You would say, Dennis, it doesn't sound spiritual. Like, it doesn't sound like it's something like Neil preached last week. It feels like you want things from him, but not him. No, no, listen to me. Don't be more spiritual than the Bible. All right? Okay, uh, let me get back to my notes. You know, I, I just want to reiterate it. So that no preacher can steal it from you. All people who trusted Christ for their salvation... And have been redeemed will enter into the kingdom because they are his family now. They have his life. They have his spirit that cannot be taken away from them. They're genuine children of God and brothers and sisters of Christ. They have the life of Christ. They're born again. They're born of God. So they will enter. But not all will inherit the kingdom. Make a difference between entrance into the kingdom and inheritance in the kingdom. I mean, for us Westerners, inheritance is kind of thing that comes automatically, like our parents die and we get if they have anything left for us. But not in that culture. In that culture, everybody knew that nobody gets the equal portion. For example, the firstborn son always gets double. I mean, you're born second, sorry. You're out of luck. Your brother will get twice as much as you. And sometimes children will not get anything. And Jewish people have no problem relating to this concept because if you read Old Testament carefully, you will realize there were Jewish people and every time God speaks to them and gives instruction in the Old Testament, He also says, you and sojourners with you. Who are those guys? <clears throat> you know, if you would come back at that day into the uh, Jewish country, you would not be able to distinguish who is sojourner and who is a Jewish person. Because the sojourners joined them generations prior maybe. And they totally accommodated. 
They adopted the Jewish lifestyle, their laws, their scriptures, their sacrifices, circumcision, temple service, everything. There was no difference. But they could not have any inheritance. There are two types of inheritance, the land and the service in the temple. They couldn't get either one of them. They had nothing. They lived together. They enjoyed the fellowship. They had no influence. They were not people of any consequences. They could not really be effective in anything. They kind of hang in there. Some Christians will be like that when they enter into eternity. He would say, Dennis, it sounds like not very spiritual. All I want is to love Jesus. And I don't care if I have anything. I just want to be in the realm where he is. I just want to be there at the back row like our brother over there in the corner. I just want to be back there. You know what? <clears throat> sounds good, but it's not biblical again. If you're in the back row back then, at that time, that means you didn't love Jesus. If you love Jesus, you're in the front row. I'm not talking about the church now here, and especially with this COVID damn thing. I'm not saying about that. But <clears throat> figuratively speaking, because God has established a principle of rewards. Rewards is a biblical principle. God, I mean, do not be deceived. God shall not be mocked. Whatever person sows, he will reap. Did you read that in the New Testament? It is in the New Testament. And I'm telling you, the system has been rigged in your favor. So God has saved you, and he offers you this tremendous gift of being somebody important in his kingdom because you love him, and he loves you. And you love him always as a response to his love. So I never, and he never, will ask you to love him without realizing his love for you. So if you don't see his love uh, for, for, for you yet, it's okay. Don't, don't try. Don't, don't try to be like Neil last time. Don't try to just like, you know, really, really go for it. It's okay. You know, Paul was afraid to suffer such loss. In 1 Corinthians, he says, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And again, if you lump those things together, you think, what is this disqualification? Does it mean like I'm losing my eternal destiny, my salvation, my entrance into the kingdom? No. So don't you judge Christians that used to be very much on fire for the Lord, and now they, like, they live like the worst of sinners. Oh, they must not be real believers. You don't know that. You don't know that. They might be very genuine children of God. God gives you freedom. God gives you freedom. He doesn't impose His stuff on you. He gives you freedom to decide. He gives you freedom to reject the offer. But He wants you to know what you're losing. And you're losing a great, great, bright future. That's what you're losing if you decide not to. Apostle John, if you read his epistles, he was encouraging believers to live in such a way that, listen to that, that they will not be ashamed at his coming. I thought shame is a dirty word that has no room in Christian life because of Christ. It does. I read the Bible. Actually, for the last two weeks, I've been studying this theme. And that was refreshing. It was eye-opening in many ways and it, it brought me to repentance several times I don't want to waste my life I don't want to be ashamed 
You know, the, the, the very fact to be ashamed at His coming means that you belong to Him and you know He loves you. It's, I'm 46 now. About six years ago, I just remembered something that I, I totally were not aware of. I remembered something that happened when I was like five or six years old. Does it happen to you? Did it have it ever happened to you? It's like a, there's a, like a zip file archived somewhere in the background of your mind, and you, you live like it never happened, and all of a sudden, boom, <gasps> and you remember that. I remember I was a kid. I was in the kindergarten, and my mom, I was raised by a single mom, and she did not make much money. But every time she would come to pick me up from the daycare, she tried to bring me something delicious and something cool. And one day she, brought, she bought me a little toy of some sort, and I made a fuss about how much I don't like the toy. And when it, this file got unzipped in me, I felt such shame. I was ashamed of myself. I didn't know at the time that I was like totally selfish prick or whatever you call it in English. But, like, but now I like, oh. I looked up the definition of what ashamed means, and shame uh, is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Can you believe all these files pop, 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 pop in the front of, in the presence of the Lord? That's excruciating. No wonder he says I, he will have to weep every tear. I mean, have you ever thought of like why tears in heaven? Why tears in his direct presence? Well, there are two logical reasons. One is that you don't find people that you love there. That's horrible. That's why you need to preach the gospel to people. God will have to comfort you because it takes a special comfort to heal you from that because it's horrible. And the second thing, you're ashamed of like, ah, I couldn't believe I lived. I, I made these choices. Gosh, I made it heavy today, but that's fine. That's Bible. So every time there's a pressure, there's also a way to be relieved from this pressure. So what I'm saying here is that New Testament is permeated with the concept that victorious Christian living and life of a disciple is not going to happen effortlessly and just spontaneously. Like you, you, you just, God has never called us when we became Christian to a life of drifting and coasting. It's always deliberate orientation of your life and confirmation to certain vision and Paul when he compares the life of a Christian with earthly realities he compares it with a farmer with a warrior with the athlete and with the builder do you see anything in common in all these things all these professions require focus and discipline. If you lack focus or discipline, you will never have su success. You will <clears throat> most likely have failure. I know that Wes wanted to, he, he did track in high school, right? And he told to his, uh, I heard the story, that's, that's cool. Uh, he told his coach, like, I'll win it, I'll become like the champion. And the coach goes, <laughs> and he did it. <laughs> I bet he didn't do it by playing video games every day. He had to really see the goal and say no to a lot of things and get focused. So these resources that God gave him to prepare would not be wasted, but would be laser focused on one goal. 
I saw the video, by the way, and the scream of Debbie is unforgettable. When he, he, he beats up the last guy and he runs, ah, you have to, it's awesome. That's a great image, guys. Paul was not a fool. That's an image of a Christian life. Dennis, is the system rigged in my favor or not? It is. <clears throat> he saved you. He, he set you free. He calls you. He gives you a job to do. He gives you goal and purpose. And he gives you wisdom. He equips you. He gives you grace. He gives you gifts to accomplish these things. And he cheers you up. And he sends you help. Angels. People, and he gives you testimony of the saints, and there's a cloud of witnesses in heaven going, Go, Neil, go, Neil, go, Neil, don't give up. Neil, don't give up. Go, 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 go. Persevere. You'll get it. And then when he does it, they go, Wow! Louder than Debbie, way louder than Debbie. Don't be more spiritual than the Bible. Don't be more spiritual than Abraham. God showed up to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm your shield and your ever like greatly increased reward. Don't be more spiritual than Moses. Moses, it says in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, that he had all these resources and opportunities of Egypt. But he saw a reward and he said no to those and yes to that. Don't be more spiritual than Paul. To the very end of his life, he said, hey, I don't want to lose it. And at the, in, the, in, the, in the jail, knowing that it's, his days are counted, he's about to be executed, he said, now I know my reward is waiting for me. Peter writes in his epistle, look at the reward. God rigged the system in your favor. He really wants you to have a life of meaning and purpose and focus. You know, we think sometimes, oh, like, and he promised you all kinds of rewards. If you study rewards in the Bible, there are all kinds. There are, like, position and authority, and all these things sound negative to us. You know why they sound negative to us? Because they're all abused in this world. We don't know what true authority is without an abuse. But you will be able to execute and participate in the true, pure, clean, selfless authority of the Lord through you. Rewards are yours. We, take, we talk about uh, love languages, like five li love languages, right? One of them got banned these days. Quarantine, you can't hug people, you know. But one of the major love languages of God is a language of rewards. That's the study that. It's there. Out of 27 books of the New Testament... I believe 24 speak of rewards. Isn't that a prominent theme then? It is. So, and like last week, Neil, I really like Neil. Neil, you know I like you. Is it obvious? No? Most of the time. Oh, yeah, I can't. But li listen, Neil, one of the cool things about Neil, and he doesn't mind if I pick on him or anything. <clears throat> so one of the cool things about Neil, he's one of the very transparent people. So... When he's down, you're like, he's a horrible poker player probably. 
because like he wears his heart on his sleeve. I'm similar to him in many ways. But like he was pouring out his heart last Sunday. And he's like, guys, I just need it. It's not about how spiritual I am. I just need that one, God. Ah. And it's him. It's him. It's true. It's good. It's wonderful. And some people were so touched. But I'm telling you, some people might have been made uncomfortable by that. Like, I, I don't want that. That is a little extreme. That is a little too much. I want like... I just want to study Bible and just implement biblical principle and see the incremental growth and like, dude, listen, when Jesus speaks of rewards, he actually appeals not only to your love and compassion and a great heart, he appeals to your self-interest. Study your Bible. We're not Buddhists. There's a lot of Christians today who become Buddhists. They say like, all understanding of yourself is false. You just need to realize that everything's spiritual. The rock is spiritual, the, I'm spiritual, the, the chairs are, uh, no, that's Yellow Springs. That's not us. God, God established this mysterious thing that we called I. And yes, it's tainted by sin. And yes, it's narcissistic today. And yes, it has all kinds of issues and trouble. But at the core of its being, it's what God created. And that thing wants to expand. That thing that we call self wants to dominate. That thing that we, it wants to transform reality around it. That's how God created you. Look at the Garden of Eden. And that's what God offers to you as a reward. So you don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss an opportunity to get the highest of what you get in God. And you get it now in this life. And actually, if you would say, I just want intimacy with God, one of the parts, rewards are in heaven are privileges that are not distributed equally. It's not communism there. It's not egalitarian society. Some people will have more intimacy with God in heaven than some others. And it's determined by now. All right? I, I, I don't even look at my notes anymore. I kind of shared what I wanted to share. So, guys, I like, he really cheers for you. He is a good God. He saved you. And he wants you to know about the rewards. And he wants your life not to just spread things through all, all possible directions and to be wasted like a smoke. He wants you to become a laser-sharp, focused Christian who sees the reward and is able to say no to everything else and say big, fat yes to his agenda. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.